uh, Hope, Hope. We're going to try to get through the entire chapter in one message today. So you can pray for me now. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 in your Bibles. If you have a pew Bible in front of you and you want to check it out, it's page 818, 818. We have this treasure. The beauty of the series, We Have This Treasure, is chapter 4 is where that phrase comes from. We have that, this treasure in jars of clay or in common earthen vessels. We're going to talk about that this morning. Hey, I don't know how this week looked for you guys. We talked last week about having the veil removed and us being able to radiate uh, the Lord's glory because He's shining through our lives through the Holy Spirit. We don't have to put on a veil anymore. The, veils, the, the glory of the Lord is not going to fade as long as we're walking in step with Him. And, and it says, and as we radiate His glory, He's going to transform us into the image of His Son Jesus day by day as we're walking with Him. So that was last week. I hope that you were radiating God's glory. I hope you were walking in the freedom in, in memory, of course, of our Independence Day on July 4th where we talked about where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And the freedom to live, not just live any old way that we'd want to live, not live in accordance with our fallen nature, but live in such a way that would please God, that we would live in freedom in a way that is in accordance with the way God made us to live before the fall, uh, as we're being renewed day by day in Christ. So to freedom to live as we should live, not as we might just want to live in our fallen nature. So that was last week. So now we go right into chapter 4. Paul's going to talk about what a privilege it is to be a minister of Christ and how he's going to do it with honesty and with sincerity and with integrity. So if you'll join me, uh, we should have the first verse up on the screen. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. It says, oh, before I get started. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, Lord, we want to lift you up today. We want to see you. We want to see the Lord Jesus. We want to see spiritual reality and truth in a deeper way, perhaps in a way that we weren't aware of before. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and, and come in and, and fill this place with your love, with your goodness, with your truth. Lord, would you open our eyes and help us to see wonderful things from your word today and help us to learn from them and to be transformed by them a little bit at a time, a little bit as we unpack your truth and your word and as we see who you are in an even clearer way. Father, help us to focus on your word. Help me to say it with clarity and with passion and the way that you want it spoken. May my words become your words this morning and give us ears to hear. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. It says these words, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. And there's that first phrase that I wanted to stop and pause on a minute. We do not lose heart. It, Paul says it in verse 1. He repeats the same phrase in verse 16. Um, we do not lose heart. We do not give up. We do not quit. Paul's not going to quit on the ministry. In fact, he's not only not going to quit, he, Paul says, I'm going to refuse to do ministry in any other way than with the integrity that God wants me to do ministry. So he says in verse 2, rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the word plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. You know, if we're going to succeed in any kind of ministry that God gives us, 
if we're going to succeed, we have got to be able to hang in there and not give up when opposition comes, when hardships comes. And I do say when, not if, because they will come. Because Jesus promised us in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11, he says the kingdom of God is forcefully advancing and violent men oppose it. So whenever God's kingdom is pushing forward, whenever the gospel is making headway, there is going to be opposition. Paul recognizes that and he says, we're going to have opposition, but we're not going to give up. He said, therefore, we do not lose heart. And Paul shared some of his hardships with the Corinthians already. You remember in chapter one, he said, we, just, we were under so much persecution and we were under so much pressure that we despaired even of life. We even felt the death sentence over us. And then he said, but, we, but God allowed that to happen, and praise be to God, he brought us through it. And through that trial that Paul went through, he says, we learn to depend not on ourselves, but on Christ who raises the dead. So Paul says we're going to go through hardships, but he says God is going to bring us through them, and we are going to persevere. So he says we do not lose heart. Paul is pressing on. And Paul says, and you know what? Not only are we not going to quit, we are going to be committed to do ministry in the right way. No deception, no clever speech, no reliance on our own wit and charm. I think Paul is saying, what you see with me is what you get. He was the same person in private as he was in public. If you met Paul on a Tuesday afternoon shopping at Whole Foods, he would be the same Apostle Paul as he would be Firing away, speaking the word of God from a church pulpit on a Sunday morning. That's Paul. Paul uh, had that kind of integrity. I would pray that we would have that kind of integrity. There's really no substitute for it. Ministry in the long run cannot succeed without integrity. So Paul says we're not going to quit and we're not going to use deception. We are going to live our lives with integrity. And then he goes on and he talks about the gospel moving forward. You remember said... Back in chapter 3, when he said, you know, Moses, when he came down from the mountain, he had the glory of the Lord radiating from his face. And the people are like, oh, you've been in God's presence. And Moses would put on a veil because he didn't want people to see the veil or the, the glory of the Lord fading from his face. And then he says, we don't have to have the glory of the Lord fading from his face. That veil, in fact, Paul says in chapter 3, the veil of the gospel it actually keeps people from understanding the truth of who Jesus is. And it says, but the veil of misunderstanding, the veil of ignorance, that veil is taken away when a person turns to the Lord Jesus in faith. And so now Paul's going to talk about what's it like to be on the other side of faith. What's it, to, what's it like to be on the side of, of faith when you do not understand who Jesus really is, when you don't see him as the son of God, when you don't see him as the savior of the world, when you just see him as a man or maybe a prophet or maybe just a good teacher, good guy, said a lot of great things, but maybe not the son of God who was crucified and put to death and then raised from the dead. You don't understand all these things. Look what it says in these verses. It says, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. I think what we're seeing here in these verses is Paul is pulling back the spiritual curtain, sort of like in that movie, The Wizard of Oz, you know, when Dorothy and her friends are in front of the great wizard and he's, his image is there and the smoke and the fire is coming. How dare you challenge the great and powerful Oz? And they're all trembling. 
And then the little dog Toto, you know, he, he starts exploring around the room and he goes back to the curtain, uh, behind the curtain, and he grabs it with his teeth and he pulls back the curtain a little bit. And you see that the great and powerful Oz is not actually so great and mighty after all. It's just this guy uh, flipping a bunch of dials and projecting an image of how great he was. He pulled back the curtain to see who Oz really was. Paul now is going to pull back the spiritual curtain and he's going to let us get a glimpse of what's going on spiritually in the spiritual world here on planet Earth behind the scenes that whenever the good news of Christ is being communicated. And he says, he, le he lets us look into this unseen spiritual reality going on. Not everybody is going to get the message or accept it, right? Jesus said that when he, when he uh, shared with us the parable of the sower of the seed. Some of the seed fell on good soil. How much of the seed fell on good soil? If I do my math right, it was only 25%. It was only a quarter. Because the first three soils that the seed fell on, you know, you've got rocky soil, you've got shallow soil, you've got soil that's full of thorns and thistles. You know, all kinds of reactions to the gospel message being preached where they didn't actually let the gospel come into their lives and take root and flourish and then produce a seed. Only a quarter of it actually was good seed. And so what happens when the other seed hears the gospel message? And Paul says this, there's an enemy in the spiritual realm. We have an enemy of our souls who's trying to keep people away from faith in Jesus Christ. Paul calls this person the God of this age. Who is he? Well, most of you know, he's none other than the devil. He's none other than Satan himself. He's the arch enemy of God. He's the unseen power behind all unbelief and godliness. And so what happens is when the gospel is preached to the people who do not believe in Jesus, Satan is putting these blinders on them so they won't believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be. They won't believe that he has the authority and the power to forgive them of all their sins and to bring them into a right relationship with God. They just don't believe that. They don't submit to, to Jesus' authority in their lives. And instead, they're, believing, they're not believing the truth of who Jesus is. They're choosing to believe the lies and the deception that Satan is, is whispering in their ear. I do remember when I first became a Christian, my brother Jeff, who's going to be here later on in, in the second service, Jeff and I both came forward together that night at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. But I remember the, the preacher saying something like this. He says, you know, here's the good news of Jesus. You want to you have eternal life? You want to have your sins forgiven? You come to faith in Jesus Christ. He can forgive you right now where you are, and you will have eternal life starting tonight. Do you want to come forward? I invite you to come forward. And I remember sitting in the seat saying, oh, I kind of want to. I really do. I think this is the right thing to do. But there was another part of me who was like, nah, don't do this. You know, you need to listen more. You need to figure this out more. You can't just make a rash decision. This is a big deal. So there was part of me that was like, eh, 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 you know, forward, back, forward, back. And he says, you know, after the invitation was, had begun and they would sang a chorus of the song, the guy says something like, you know, for some of you, uh, you need to know the spiritual reality going on in the spirit world right where we are, even though you can't see it. He says, God is for you. He wants you to come into a saving relationship with his son, Jesus. But over on the other side of the spectrum, there's Satan, there's the devil. And the last thing he wants you to do, being the arch enemy of God, Satan does not want you to come into a saving relationship with Christ. So he's saying, don't do it. Delay it. Don't go forward. Check it out later. Don't believe it right now. They're fooling you. Whatever he's trying to say to you. So God is for you on one side. Satan's against you on the other side. 
You are the person who has the cast. You cast the deciding vote. So how are you going to decide? God is for you. Satan's against you. What do you want to do? Do you want Jesus right now? Come forward. And I was like, that's all I needed to hear. So I started going forward, and so did Jeff, and that's how, we, that's how we became followers of Jesus. But I remember that, and I can remember some of the spiritual warfare that was going on in my, in my life at that time. Satan does not want people to believe in Jesus, so he's going to throw out lies and deceptions and distractions. He's going to try to get them to make somebody else their God or make Satan himself their God, even though they don't even realize it. Paul calls the world that we're living in, in Galatians 1, he calls it this present evil age. So the devil's trying to blind us to the reality that Jesus Christ is authentically displaying God himself to us. If you want to know who God really is, Paul says, well, I'll tell you in another letter. In the letter to the Colossians, Paul says, if you want to know who Jesus really is, not just the man who was walking here on earth, but who he was even before he was incarnated as a human being, Look what it says in Colossians chapter 1. The Son is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn or the preeminent one over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things on heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created by Him or through Him and for Him. He is before all things and in Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he, Jesus, might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. That's who Jesus really is. That's the real Jesus. That's the one that we need to see. That's the one that we need to pray for people when they're outside God's family. He says, God, would you give them a revelation? Would you cut through the veil of blindness, spiritual blindness that Satan has in people's lives and help them to see Jesus for who he really is? The next thing Paul does is he reminds the Corinthians that he's the servant and that Paul is there to serve the church. He's there to lift Jesus up, not himself up. And so he says in verse 5, For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, God made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. You know, Paul says right here, my preaching, my ministry, it's all got to be about Jesus. It cannot be about myself. The good news message that Paul was preaching or that anybody preaching today the gospel message. The good news message cannot be like, hey, what I really need you to do is come check me out. I'm awesome. I'm super Christian. I'm the superstar, and you need to listen to me. I remember that, that chilling illustration in 1978 or 79 when Jim Jones, before he led that group of people uh, over to Guyana in northern, or northern South America uh, there, and they ended up committing suicide. There was a moment in that church when Jim Jones took a Bible, and I can't even imagine being in the church. If I had been in that church and I'd seen this scene, I would have fled. I would have got out of that church as quick as I could. But he took a Bible and he raised up the Bible and he says, Folks, I want you to know something. You no longer need this book. You don't need this book anymore. And he threw it on the ground. He says, All you need is me. 
All you need is me. That's a scary place to be for anybody in ministry. God help the pastor or the church leader, whoever gets to that point and think it's got to be about me rather than being about Jesus. He says, for what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord and ourselves. We are your servants for Jesus sake. And now we get to the to the capstone, to the greatest verse or what I consider one of the greatest verses in a great letter. And that is verse seven. It says, but we have this treasure. We have this treasure talking about Jesus, talking about his message of life and truth. We have this treasure in jars of clay. In the New Living Translation, it says we have this treasure in perishable containers, that is, in our own weak bodies. And the reason I brought that up was somebody came up after the service last night and says, you know, and, and I'm thinking to myself, where did I fail in the message? Because he comes up after the message and he says, Jim, I need to know something. When it says jars of clay in verse 7, what is he talking about? Is it, what, is it, what are the jars of clay? And I said, I said, the jars of clay are us. We are the perishable, common earthen vessels in which the treasure of God, that somehow in his sovereignty, I, I don't know why he would take fragile, weak containers who are so fallible and susceptible to sin and deception and all this stuff, and God would say, I'm going to put my treasure in you, and I want you to be the mouthpiece so that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ, and you're going to be my spokesman. You're going to be my spokeswoman. And you're going to take my message to the world. And I'm going to show my power through your weakness. That's an amazing truth. It, it's, it's hard to even comprehend why God would take such a great risk. But that's the way he did. He says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. That's in our own weak bodies to show. And now here's where Paul's getting at. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So we have this treasure, this gospel truth treasure, this life-changing message in us. We're, you know, I, I think if you really understood that passage fully, we would be stunned. We would be dumbfounded. We would be, we would be astonished. And we say, I, I, there's part of me when I was doing the study and say, Lord, I don't even know why you did that. I can only say, your will be done. Because if you're trusting us to get the job done, you're trusting in people that are fallible and weak and susceptible to make mistakes. And uh, like Paul says, therefore, we do, we do not lose heart. I have to confess, you know, I don't always not lose heart. There's times when I lose my, my mojo spiritually, so to speak. There's times when I lose my zeal for the kingdom of God. So we need to, to keep that zeal and remember that the all-surpassing power, it's not, it's not me and my personality uh, it's the power of God working through me. It's the power of God working through you, through these common clay earthen vessels. Uh, that's an amazing treasure in us, and that's a marvelous truth. We are not the gifts to God's people. Jesus is the gift. And then our only hope for glory, like Paul says in Colossians, the only hope we have for glory is Christ in us. Christ in us. What an amazing truth. You know, I want to illustrate that by sharing this uh, ordination. There was an ordination of a young pastor in the Midwest. He was a young preacher. He had started serving in the church. He was going to seminary. He was graduating, and he wanted to be ordained. He wanted to be ordained as a minister of Christ. And so they come to the point of his ordination, and it's, it's really a serious big deal, and there's usually somebody that gives a profound message. 
But the most memorable phrase that was said during that ordination was when this old seasoned pastor who'd been in the ministry for like 40 years, and he knew all the ups and downs of ministry, and he knew the truth of you know, personality versus the all-surpassing power of God. So this old pastor comes up to the young man and he says, Son, he says, it's going to be a long road for you in this Christian life. It's going to be a long road for you as a leader in Christ's church if you are trying to convince people that you are awesome and God is awesome at the same time. Do you, do you get what I'm saying? The truth is, you know, we're not the superheroes we serve the ultimate superhero, and that's Jesus Christ. Let's keep pointing people to Jesus and not to ourselves. You know, friends, one of the best phrases that I've ever heard that helps us connect to other people, and, and it has to do with God using his power in our weakness to, in order to proclaim his truth, it is a connecting phrase that, that I, it's just two words. And the connecting phrase with people is called, me too. And I want to illustrate it this way. You know, do you have doubts about your faith sometimes? Me too. Do you have cracks and flaws in your character? Do you make mistakes from time to time? Me too. Do you struggle with temptations that weaken you and, and stop you in your tracks sometimes? Me too. Do you lose patience sometimes with your kids? Or I'll even say sometimes with your grandkids now that I've had ours for four days. Do you lose patience with them sometimes? Me too. And yet, I mean, so here we are in these common earthland vessels, weak and fragile, susceptible to mistakes and all this stuff, not always full of zeal for the Lord, not always shining the radiance of God's glory in our lives, in these common earthen vessels. And yet God, He loves us, He continues to work in us and through us in our weaknesses and it reminds us that we're still just jars of clay. We're just perishable containers that he allows his magnificent Holy Spirit to work in us, to indwell us, and then to do ministry through us. And that humbles us. That should humble us. We share humbly with love so that everyone will see that this glorious gospel power, it's not really coming from us. It's coming from God. It's God's power within us that really counts. Louis Giglio is the founder of the Passion Conference Ministries for Young Adults. And he said this one time, because he's this 50-year-old guy, he's an old guy, speaking to these young people. But they continue to listen to him, and they continue to just hang on his every word. And these guys are passionate. I mean, these guys are standing up and jumping around and hands up in the air when they're doing worship. You see some of the Passion Conference videos, and you're just like, wow, where do they get all that energy? And uh, so he speaks to them, and they listen to him, and he said this. He said, what I'm learning about speaking to these young people he, and getting them to, to listen to me and to focus on Christ through my preaching, he says, I'm learning that it is, it is my personal awe and wonder and love for the story of Jesus. That is my best asset. That is my best asset. So when we are continually amazed, when we're continually brought uh, to our knees by the depth of the love of God, by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, when that continues to hit us deep in our heart and we're humbled by that, that is when we're at our best. That is when we're most likely to go and share with somebody and show them that the all-surpassing power really is coming from God and not from ourselves. Let's go on to uh, say, you know, Paul said he was hard-pressed, 
He was persecuted. They were abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. I can't really stop and focus on that too much because that's not the main thing. But um, he says that they were under great pressure, like when grapes are squeezed dry by a wine press. He says they were perplexed, which means they were without a way. They, had, they didn't have the clear direction from God. They were feeling lost. And yet Paul kept saying, but all, in all these things, we're not in despair. We're not crushed. We're not destroyed. He says, because God is still working in us. William Barclay wrote a daily commentary on 2 Corinthians, and he paraphrased this passage right here uh, in this way. He says, we are sore pressed at every point, but we're not hemmed in. We're persecuted by men, but we're never abandoned by God. We're at our wit's end, but we're never at our hope's end. We might get knocked down, but we don't get knocked out. I love that perspective. Paul didn't quit. Paul wasn't going to quit. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart. He wasn't giving up because God never gave up on him. And he ne Paul never gave up because the mission of carrying the gospel to the rest of the world, the mission was too important for him to quit. People's eternal lives were at stake. And that's why Paul says in verse 13, he says, I believed, therefore, I have spoken. And he says, and he says, it is written. Whenever you read it is written in the New Testament, it's usually quoting a verse from the Old Testament, from the Hebrew Scriptures. In this case, it happens to be Psalm number 116. It's not the translation from the Hebrew. It's the translation from the Greek Septuagint, which would be the Greek translation of the Old Testament. So he says, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Here's a question for us today. When Paul says, I believe, therefore I have spoken, I say to myself, what is it that I believe so much? What is it that I believe in so strongly that I cannot help but speak? That I have to speak about these things because I believe in them so strongly. What is it that you believe enough that would make you have to get up and go tell somebody else? What is it that you believe so strongly? Here's a few things that I believe. I believe that our God who made all heaven and earth, that this God set his affection on us on human beings created in his image. I believe that the good news of Jesus Messiah is changing the world. And I believe it has the power to save everyone who believes. I believe that through Jesus there's hope for everyone. That his grace sustains us. I believe that hope has a name. And his name is Jesus. I believe that I still and that I will always need the equipping and sustaining grace of God. I believe that I am not sufficient but that he is sufficient. I believe that there's a home in heaven waiting for each one of us in Jesus Christ. And I believe that in the end, we will win. Why? Because Jesus is the victor. He's the victorious one, not me. So what about you today? What is it that you believe? What are you willing to believe so much that you can't keep it inside and you've got to go share it with somebody else? So Paul says, we're not quitting, we're not giving up, we face pressures, we know Satan's at work, he's trying to blind the minds of unbelievers, we're still not going to quit because the gospel is moving forward and Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. The church is going to move on triumphant in this world and Paul says, therefore we do not lose heart, verse 16, though outwardly, physically, Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. 
And, and check out this perspective. And when you read 2 Corinthians, you say, Paul, how could you even write with a serious face? Verse 17. For all the trials and the persecutions and the difficulties and the hardships and the imprisonments and the beatings, all the things that you went through, and yet you say this in verse 17. He says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. The only way that I can understand that is to say Paul's looking ahead and he's got his spiritual eyes on and the Lord Jesus is revealing spiritual truth to him and he's saying, you know, eye is not seen, ear is not heard, mind is not even conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Jesus has gone and prepared a place for us. Heaven's going to be a wonderful place filled with glory and grace. You and I are going to see our Savior's face. Heaven is a wonderful place. And Paul says, in light of that, in light of eternity being long forever, in light of this life being relatively short compared to eternity, all this stuff that I have to go through, light and momentary troubles. That's really all that they are. And so Paul says, I got to keep my perspective. So he says in verse 18, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, not just on the here and now and the hardships. We fix our eyes on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Physically, we're wasting away. We know that. It's not just, you know, it's not just the persecutions that Paul faced. Probably a collection of beatings over time made his body weaken. But also the fact that Paul was getting older. Also the fact that gravity is working on you and I every single day. <laughs> Whether we like it or not, however much we fight it. That physically, outwardly, we're wasting away. We're getting weaker and weaker. But on the inside, Christ's kingdom is coming and it's growing. Christ's power within us, that the all-surpassing power is coming from God and not from us, that's renewing us every day. So compared to eternity, whatever we have to go through in this life, it's just light. It's just momentary. It's not even worthy to be compared with the glory that is coming in our lives. So Jesus, as he promised us, he says, I'm building my church. We're joining the victory parade of Jesus' triumphal march to keep making disciples. And that triumphal parade, that's not going to stop until Christ himself returns from heaven. Amen? And therefore, Paul said, I'm not going to quit. I might get discouraged. I might feel like giving up. But I'm not giving up because the temporary pain is just temporary. The persecutions and the setbacks, they're just temporary. Paul focused on the inner strength that he got from the Holy Spirit. I have no doubt that Paul over and over again, I bet you he quoted this to himself many times. Isaiah chapter 40, he says, But they who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will fly high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. And they will walk and they will not faint. Friends, as long as we remember, as we're always going to need the grace of God, as long as we remember that his power is always going to perfect us in our weakness, as long as we remember that the treasure that we have to share is the Lord Jesus himself and that the treasure he's decided through his Holy Spirit, through his message to give to us, that treasure is going to reside in this common earthen vessel, this jar of clay, we are going to be able to be successful in ministry. We're going we're gonna to see God's grace at work in our lives. We're going to see people outside God's family come into faith and cross the line of faith. And we're going to have the right spirit the whole time, keeping our eyes on Jesus, fixing our eyes upon what is unseen, because what is unseen is eternal. Amen?
Let's uh, bow for a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, God, what an amazing truth that you reveal to us, that you would put your power, your life-giving message into these weak, frail containers such as ourselves. Lord, what a privilege you've given us to be your witnesses, your spokespeople for you and your kingdom to show others that this glorious power that is in us, it comes from you, that it's not our own. Lord, forgive us sometimes when we forget that. Forgive us when we get full of ourselves or we may think we're actually more than we really are. Forgive us when we get distracted and and away from the main things that we should be focused on. God, help us to keep on speaking for you. Help us, empower us with the voice and the message that you want us to share. And help us to persevere and to not give up when we face pressures and hardships that will come our way. Help us to hang in there in spite of the setbacks. And as our heads are bowed and our eyes are still closed, I just want to ask you a question. Where are you spiritually today with the Lord Jesus Christ? Maybe up until now, the good news message about Jesus, maybe it's just seemed incomprehensible to you. You just don't fully understand it. That you, do, you don't quite get that God made you, that he loves you, that your sins, your moral failures, that they've created a barrier between you and a holy God, but that God bridged that gap between you and him by sending Jesus so Jesus could be the bridge, the mediator between you and God. And that you can come into God's family right now if you want to. Maybe that message is getting clearer to you. Maybe you're ready. Maybe you're seeing spiritual truth and reality in a new way today. And if that's where you are, maybe you are ready to take a step toward God. Maybe you're ready to receive the Lord Jesus into your heart today. If that's where you are, I just ask right now, just bow your head and and humble yourself before God and just pray along with me and You can agree with your heart in prayer. Dear God, I believe in you. I believe that you sent your son, Jesus. I believe that you are able to forgive me for all the wrong things I've said and done. And so, God, today I put my trust in Jesus. I want him to be my savior and my forgiver. I want him to be the leader of my life. Show me, Lord, show me how to move forward in this journey of faith with you. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your new life in Christ. And I say all these things with all sincerity. Amen. Amen. I don't know if you've prayed that prayer today for the first time. We're going to ask the worship team to come up and close us in a song. But if you've ever, uh, if you haven't yet prayed that prayer before, and maybe today was your first time, maybe you've crossed that line of faith today and you saw Jesus as he really is, in a new way. I just want to say to you, congratulations. Congratulations. Welcome to the family of God. And we have some resources to help you in your spiritual growth. We have some resources at the back after the service is over. Come see me in the lobby area. Maybe you want to take a next step of faith after believing in Jesus and acknowledging him. Maybe you need to be baptized. Maybe you're ready to publicly declare your allegiance to Jesus in the waters of baptism. If so, take one of those welcome cards and mark that I'm ready for baptism. And we'll follow up with you and we'll make arrangements. Right now, let's have everybody stand and we're going to sing a song of joyful celebration.